Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Greetings to you all in the mighty, wonderful and the sweet name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. We welcome you all for this morning worship. I read a few words from Psalm 96. Though we are in different places, and God deserves our worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nation, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. I leave it here. God expects and deserves his children to praise him, glorify him and worship him. As I said, we are in the different places. But as a family, when we worship him, God is always delighted to hear our praises. Let the heaven rejoice as we worship as a family. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I read it for you, the promise of the week. That is taken from Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 10. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. What we understand from here is, it's the thought of this word, Jeremiah reminded the faithful remnant of believing. And God is righteous and must punish sin. But he is also faithful to fulfill his promises to those who love him. And to reward those that place their trust in him. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here we are forced to believe in God. As we hear about and knowing about the news around the world, and around us, everywhere, people are very much scared and they are afraid and worried about the future. As the psalmist says, our days are in his hand. But it is really God's grace, the abundance of grace, I can say, God preserves us, God provides every need, and we have every reason to praise and thank our God. Let us thank him 
before we are going to hear God's word. Our most loving, gracious and heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for the privilege that you given to us. Even though every doors are closed and everywhere it is locked down, but the heaven is always open to us. And your ears are always attentive to the cry of your children. Lord, in the same way, now we commit ourselves and we acknowledge even our ears are open to our Father. Our hearts are open to hear your word. As you prepare your word, as you are going to speak to us through your servant, Apostle Leslie, Lord, as you put your word in his heart, use him as your mouthpiece. Lord, give us the attentive ear to hear your word and be obedient to your word. Let your word as its purpose in every one of our life. Your word will bring convictions, corrections, edification, encouragement, blessings of Father. As you bless us, help us to your blessings to one another. Father, as your word says, search the heart and you test the mind even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Father, we are very much thankful to you for your faithfulness. Lord, we also thank you for the prophecy of Jeremiah and for the knowledge that you are your righteous God who will not only reward those who trust in you but will punish the wicked who reject your long-suffering mercy and gracious offer of salvation. Father, now we pray that you search our heart and help us to abide in your Son, Jesus Christ, day by day. Lord, we pray and also we praise you and to glorify you. Lord, we also pray for your children, those who are having a different need in their lives, according to their heart's desire, fulfill their desire too, and meet every one of their needs, whether it is a physical, material, or the spiritual. You are the God who provides us. Thank you once again for accepting our prayers. In Jesus' highly exalted name, we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Dear children of God, just one announcement for tomorrow, Saturday, morning at 6 o'clock. It is for men. We have a early will seek thee. And all are requested to join us. In the same way, evening 4 o'clock, maybe 3.45, the conference will be open. And all the sisters, please join the women's ministry and be blessed. So really, this is the privilege for each and every one of us coming together, though we do not meet together in the church.
thank you once again god bless you have a blessed day praise the lord i trust all of you are doing well keeping fit and staying safe shall we pray gracious heavenly father we thank you father for this time this day and this moment lord father when we come into your presence to hear that which you have for us lord father we may be in different places but yet your spirit binds us together lord father and father god right now we commit ourselves into your hands lord that we will have receptive hearts to hear that which you have for us father god i pray lord that we will be attentive and we will listen and father god as you speak and as we study your word i pray lord that you will minister unto every one of us we thank you we praise you in jesus name we pray amen let me begin this message by stating with the utmost confidence i have that god is in control of everything nothing that is happening right now is strange to god or has caught him by surprise just continue to focus on him and leave it to him to calm this storm and he will doubtless sometime back i was reading a mission report and that report stated that the world is just 10 to 15 years away from the fulfillment of the great commission but there seemed to be some unsurmountable obstacles and hurdles in reaching the remaining people groups something needed to be done and the sad fact of the matter is that the worldwide church has to a large extent failed it has not risen to its primary task of sharing the good news of salvation the great commission of jesus christ as we read it in matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 states go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age this is the great commission but it has become the great omission and again in acts chapter 1 verse 8 we read the last words of jesus christ spoken when he was on the earth but you shall receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth the last words of jesus have become the forgotten words of jesus and then i realized that the church has actually become quite lethargic through its compromises its complacency its casualness and in some instances the real christ is no longer preached in churches as i was asking god what i should share this day during this lockdown season on account of a virus that is so small 
that it needs a real high-power microscope to actually see it. God simply said, stick to the revival in the church series. Revival in the church and revival in our personal lives is what God requires of us. It is the need of the hour. And as I read and reread the portion of the letter that is written to the seventh and last church in the book of Revelation, I was once again amazed at God's sense of timing. And as we go along, I hope you will see it too. God's primary interest in this world has always been its people. And ever since Jesus Christ walked on this earth, God's approach to the people of this world has been through his chosen people, the church. And over the last year, we in the Bread of Life Fellowship have looked at the first six letters that Jesus wrote through John to seven churches in Asia Minor. And today we are going to focus on the seventh and last letter that he wrote. It was the letter written to the Church of the Laudations. And the title of today's study is this, Revival in the Church, The Cost of Christlessness. Let me repeat that title, Revival in the Church, The Cost of Christlessness. Please open your Bibles and let us read wherever we are. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. I shall read it to you from the New King James Version. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That was the reading of Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22. The letter itself starts with an interesting choice of words. 
The first part of verse 14 reads, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, Jesus is so disgusted with this church that he doesn't even call it his church or the church in Laodicea, which is how he addressed his letters to five of the seven churches. The only other place Jesus uses such an introduction is in, the, in his letter to the church of Ephesus. Later on, we will see that Jesus was prepared to spew out or vomit out the Laodicean church, just as he was prepared to remove the lampstand from the church in Ephesus. Let's move on. As always, Jesus introduces himself to the church. To this church, he uses the words, Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God, all of which are quite easy to understand. The Amen is an affirmation that his word, written or spoken, is established. Whatever he says shall be so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it is written, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises of God in him, that's in Christ, are yes. That's God's word. And to reaffirm that word, God continues to write, and in him, amen. That's the confirmation. So God says his word, it's the promise, and God reaffirms that word. It's the establishment of the word. And so when Jesus says, I am amen, it simply means that when he says it, he means it. That's it. We often use the word amen as a word of affirmation. In the Gospel of John, in multiple places, we read the word verily, verily. This is the same affirmation, but at the beginning of the statement. Amen is used at the end of a sentence or a statement to acknowledge that the word is established. So when Jesus says he is the amen, he is simply stating the fact that he is the word and his word is established forever, never changing. The second title he uses is the faithful and true witness. This asserts the fact that he will neither dilute nor distort the truth. Jesus is telling the church that he is going to tell them the truth of their condition, whether they like it or not. Today, are we prepared to listen when Jesus tells us our true condition? Jesus does not dilute it. Jesus does not distort it. He tells it as it is. The third title Jesus used is the beginning of the creation of God. There are two ways of interpreting this description. Interpretation number one goes this way. Jesus, as we all know, is the creator. He is not a created being. He was there from the beginning of time. 
In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 we read, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Interpretation number two. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. And he paved the way for the rest of God's creation who believe in him. Turn to Revelation chapter 1, the first part of verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. So those were the titles Jesus used to introduce himself to the church of the Laodiceans. Now I want you to recognize at this point that compared to the introductory titles that he used for many of the other churches that we have seen in the past, these titles were pretty straightforward. There was a reason for this one. And we'll come to that a little later as we go along. Okay, but just remember that the titles that Jesus used to describe himself were pretty simple titles and he really wanted to express himself in a very simple way to this Laodicean church. Now, sadly, Jesus has no words of commendation for this church of the Laodiceans. He writes in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. And then he says, I could wish you were cold or hot. And then he goes on in verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Why is Jesus saying this and what does he mean? To understand this, we need to go back to the first century AD. A little bit of history and geography. Now, Laodicea was a fashionable, materialistic city set on the east-west and north-south trade routes. It was located in the Lycus Valley, about 80 miles east of Ephesus and 30 miles southeast of Philadelphia. It was a prosperous city requiring no outside help for anything. Historical records tell us that the Roman king offered to waive off annual taxes to rebuild the city of Laodicea, even after a major earthquake in 62 AD. But the Laodiceans refused the king's help, stating that they had enough money and resources to build their own city. Laodiceans believed that they could do everything by themselves. They prided themselves that they were dependent on nobody. It prided itself for its banking, its high-quality gold ornaments, its famous medical school, its renowned black wool, and its locally produced eye ointment. Now, please remember these areas of pride because Jesus addressed these in his letter, and we will look at them a little later. While Laodicea had so much to pride itself about, it had one major failing. It did not have its own water supply or its own water source. Laodicea had to depend on neighboring towns 
to provide it with water. 10 miles to the north was the town of Hieropolis, famous for its hot springs with their healing properties. And six miles to the south was the town of Colosse, renowned for its cold springs and its refreshing cold water. Aqueducts or water canals were used to pipe water from both these towns into the city of Laodicea. Unfortunately, by the time the water reached Laodicea, it was neither hot nor was it cold. It was lukewarm, tasteless, and frankly nauseating. And so, when Jesus said that he wished the church in Laodicea was cold or hot, he was simply telling the church the truth. He wanted the church then, as he wants the church now, to either bring the healing to the sick and the suffering, or to bring a refreshing newness into the lives of people. He did not, and he does not, want the church to be lukewarm and tasteless, making no mark on the lives of people. In fact, Jesus was saying to the Laodicean church, you make me sick. Today, is the church refreshing as the cold waters of Colossae? Or is it healing as the hot waters of Hieropolis? Or is it lukewarm and tasteless as the waters of Laodicea? Look at many churches today. Many churches have compromised on their doctrine. They have brought the world into the church. They have become complacent. They have compromised. And the focus of these churches has changed from sin and salvation to blessings and prosperity. Sad to say, but many of today's churches are best represented as the Laodicean church. I sincerely believe God is speaking to the church today in the midst of this ravaging viral infection. Does the church think it is safe and protected? We better think again. Do you think all of us are safe and protected and assured of our place in heaven? We better think again. If we go back to our text and look at verse 17, we see what the church thought of itself and what Jesus thought of the church. Let's read that verse. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. While the church looked at itself as rich, wealthy and in need of nothing, the reality was totally opposite. And Jesus did not mince words when he described the church of the Laodiceans. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. The Laodiceans prided themselves on their banking system and their store of gold. But God saw them as wretched and poor. The Laodiceans prided themselves on their famous medical school, but God saw them as miserable. 
the Laodiceans prided themselves on their eye ointment, but God saw them as blind. The Laodiceans prided themselves on their shiny black wool, which they made into costly fur coats, but God saw them as naked. And in verse 18 and 19, we read of the exhortation Jesus gave the church of the Laodiceans in order to change. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Jesus is prepared to help us make the change, but the prerequisite is repentance. Jesus was asking the church in Laodicea and is asking us today to make our choice. Remember this, when God chastens us or corrects us, it is because he loves us and does not want us to go astray. God's correction is always done out of God's love. Are we prepared to choose spiritual values, spiritual virtues, and spiritual vision today, just as the Laodicean church was given the same opportunity? The church today has to decide because the church today has a lot to account for and a lot to answer for. Spiritual values are the things that have been tested through fire like gold and have come out pure and shiny. What are your spiritual values? Choosing spiritual virtues involves a return to holiness and righteousness. Is that the way you are walking today? A restoration of spiritual vision is something God has always wanted for his people. In Proverbs 29 verse 18, if we read the King James Version, we read the following words. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4, we read, but even if our gospel is wailed, it is wailed to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That is spiritual vision. That is something God has always wanted for his people, for his church. But the God of this age, Satan, has always tried to blind the people. And God is saying, will you please come back to me? Will you return to me? And I want to restore to you spiritual vision. Finally comes the challenge in verse 20. This verse has been quoted in multiple contexts, but I will mention here the two most applicable interpretations. Let's read the verse first. Verse 20. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I said there were many interpretations, but we are going to look at the two most applicable ones. Interpretation one. This is generally described as the evangelistic interpretation. It applies to individuals and therefore today it might apply to somebody listening to this message. Jesus is outside your life and is waiting to come in if you will only repent and accept him into your life. I want somebody who's listening to this message to listen to this carefully. Jesus is outside your life and he is waiting to come in if you will only repent and accept him into your life. I'll come back to this point in a bit. And then we have interpretation two, which generally applies to the church. Theologically, this interpretation has received greater acceptance than the first one. Jesus is standing outside the church of the Laodiceans. He is prepared to come into the church if just one person can repent and accept him as Lord and head of the church. Now I want you to think back of the previous six churches. This is one place where Jesus says he is outside the church. In every other church, Jesus was inside. There were problems of corruption. There were problems of idolatry. There were problems of the loss of the first love. There were problems of eating food offered to idols. But whatever the problem, Jesus was still inside the church. But it is only here in the church of the Laodiceans that Jesus is not even in the church. And that is why in his opening verse, Jesus says that this is a letter written to the church of the Laodiceans. It was not to the church in Laodicea as most of the other letters were. Jesus was not in this church. And as far as the Laodiceans were concerned, they and only they owned the church. And so Jesus had to write the letter addressing it to the people who owned the church because that's the way the Laodiceans looked at their church. And that is why most theologians feel that Revelation 3.20 is a statement more applicable to the church rather, rather than to an individual. However, I would still like to take the opportunity today of asking if there is anyone willing and wanting to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into his or her life now. If you choose to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you choose to repent of your sins and accept him into your life as Lord and Savior, this is your time. Wherever you are, seated at home or elsewhere, place your right hand on your heart and say this prayer with me. This is an opportunity given to those who wish to accept the Lord into their lives. You don't know the Lord, but you are saying, Lord, I want you into my life. So wherever you are, 
please place your right hand on your heart and say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me and rose on the third day, giving me freedom from a life of sin. Come into my heart and life right now, Lord Jesus, and be Lord, Master and Saviour in my life. I surrender myself to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's get back to verse 20. Here is Jesus pleading. Would somebody repent? Would somebody receive him? Would somebody accept him? If just one person did that, Jesus would come into the church and fellowship with that person. This is a loaded verse. This is a verse many of us know, a verse we so often hear in evangelistic meetings, an absolutely loaded verse. Now the question to us, either individually or as a church, is this. Where is Jesus? Is he truly in you and in the church? Or are we an empty shell masquerading as godly people and a godly church? Are we the overcomers we are meant to be? Are we worthy of the reward Jesus Christ has in store for the overcoming church? Are we worthy to sit with Christ on his throne as he promises us in verse 21? This is the reward and this is what he says in verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So the question really is this. Are we worthy to sit with Christ on his throne? As we bring this message to a close, I want us to look back on the last one year when God has been preparing this church for a time such as this. To every church, God had a take-home message. To the church in Ephesus, God said, Repent and restore your first love. To the church in Smyrna, God said, Be faithful while persevering in persecution. To the church in Pergamum, God said, Repent and overcome compromise, idolatry and immorality. To the church in Thyatira, God said, Repent and overcome corruption within. To the church in Sardis, God said, Repent and revive the dead. To the church in Philadelphia, God said, Hold fast and empower the faithful. To the church in Laodicea, God says, Repent, be refreshingly cold or be encouragingly warm and let me come in and be the center of your life. Church, it is time to restore the glory of the church. It is time for the church to stand up and be the ambassador for Christ. It is time 
you and I stopped playing the church, but instead time for us to be the real church of God. As we ponder these thoughts, remember what I said at the beginning of this message. I said there seemed to be some unsurmountable barrier and obstacle in reaching some people groups, in getting the message across, in getting the gospel across to some people groups. Maybe the time has come for the church to re-strategize its evangelistic approach. Maybe the church, the different missions, various evangelistic outreaches have done a lot till now. But it appears that the current strategies have not succeeded in breaking through that final barrier. And if we continue doing the same thing that we have always done, we will end with the same result. It is time to re-strategize. Remember, God never lets anything happen without a kingdom purpose. Is there a message for the church through the turmoil of the season? Maybe this season is just a practice season for us to use the wide range of technology to reach the uttermost and furthest parts of this earth. Maybe this is the time to reflect on our practices, be it in our personal lives or in the life of the church, on how to make Christ the center and the head. Maybe this is the time for all of us to consistently fall on our knees, learn to worship, learn to obey, and learn to serve the one true living God and Him alone and Him only. Whatever be the reason that God has permitted this season to be, let us not live in fear or frustration. Let us open our hearts, our homes, and our churches to Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Pray for yourselves. Pray for your near and dear ones, wherever they are. Pray for the nations of the world. Pray for your nation. Pray for this nation. Pray for God's mercy and compassion on people. Pray that God will choose to bring a stop to this deadly pestilence. Pray that the church will rise and do what it has to do. Pray that the church will be Christ-centric and Christ-focused. Pray that you and I will be the true church of God, serving Him and obeying Him all the days of our lives. Father, we want to say thank you. Truly, you are a God who cares for us. And truly, there is nothing that happens that you don't know about. Father, we come to you, repentant that we have not done everything we should have been doing. Sometimes, Father, we have chased our own agendas. Sometimes we have thought of ourselves better than who we really are. Father God, we do not want you to be standing outside our lives. We do not want you to be standing outside our church. We do not want to be known as that wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked church. Correct us, God, where we need correction. Chasten us where we need to be chastened. And teach us and use us, Father, to be better servants in your kingdom. Father, we pray for this whole situation the world is going through right now. 
and we ask that you have mercy and compassion upon your creation. Father, we pray we will not return to our old Christless lifestyle, chasing the world, but we will have a new lifestyle, learning to focus on you, making Christ the center of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we share the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.